If you would turn to the gospel account of John, the third chapter, John chapter 3, and verse 14, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, Peter in his writings talks about God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Never let anybody tell you that destruction and loss is the will of God. It is not. Jesus said, the thief comes, not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. The Amplified says that you might have life to the full, have and enjoy life to the full until it overflows. So uh, no matter how well-meaning somebody might be, I'm talking about pastors, Christians, don't let people tell you that destruction and people perishing and loss is the will of God. It is not. It's never the perfect will of God. He's not willing that any should perish. And the solution for perishing is believing that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, he says it again, should not perish but have everlasting life. Say that out loud, eternal life. Everlasting life. Now this is... uh, This is what mankind has sought. I mean, from before the time that, who was it, Ponce de Leon was searching for the fountain of life. And everybody, I mean, science, everything is looking to extend our lives so that we can live longer, but people keep dying. And, you know, there's nobody around left from the 1600s. None. Zero. And in a few years, the Lord tarry his coming. How many will be left? They tell us that some, you know, 160 or so thousand people a day leave the planet. That's just in normal times. Every second, there's two people pass on, leave the planet. And so this is a normal part of life on earth. And you cannot help but be afraid of dying unless you have received this eternal life that he's talking about here. And when you do that, the scripture said that in Hebrews that Jesus took part of flesh and blood so that he through death might destroy him that had the power of death and deliver them who through all their their lifetime through the fear of death, were subject to bondage. 
you can be completely delivered from the fear of death. Because you've been born again, you've received eternal life, and even though your body might die, your spirit will never die. And you'll even get your body back (laughs) in a glorified state. Talk about a (laughs) win-win. But it only happens for those that believe. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We've been talking for a few weeks now on this subject of eternal life. What it is, what it means, how to get it. Eternal life. Look down in the 36th verse of this same chapter, John 3:36. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Now we, we went into some detail about this a couple of weeks ago. But we need to repeat it because you will hear all over the place people telling you that different religions are just different ways and different paths leading to the same God and that we're all children of the same God and basically the impression is made that everybody, when they die, they go to be with God. And they go to a better place. That simply is not the truth. Now you can believe that if you want to. But you'd be believing a lie. It's not true. The scripture says. Jesus said that he is the only way to the father. He said nobody comes to the father except by me. And we see through this and numerous other verses that we've already gone over. That if you don't have the Son and you don't believe on Jesus, you don't have eternal life and you won't see life. You won't go to God when you die. You won't go to a better place. You'll go to a worse place, a worse place than earth. This is something that those contemplating suicide have not understood. That when you die, that is not the end. And there is something worse than the most hellish life on earth that's possible. And it's hell itself after death. And I know people don't like this. You know, people, you know, they they fuss and, and people become enraged when you talk like this. But if you believe the Bible, you have to believe this. Now, you can choose to believe some other ideas that deceived men have come up with. But if you believe the Bible, you have to believe that not everybody has eternal life. Not everybody is saved. Not everybody goes to heaven when they die. Only those who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior have eternal life. Read it again. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let me go into a little bit further what eternal life is. What is eternal life? Eternal, if you look it up, 
the words that are translated eternal and everlasting, have to do with where we get our word from one of them, eon. It could be translated like this, eon after eon, or age after age, eon after eon unending. And that is the same idea and concept that we have when we hear eternal. Eon after eon unending. And the word life, what does that mean? It is the word, zoe, the life of God. Now one thing that needs to be made clear is that he's not just talking about existing physically. And he's not just talking about existing age after age. No, living is only possible in union with life. And God is light. And God is life. And God is love. And if you are not in union with him, you're not living. You know, the Bible talks about being dead while you live. And existing is not living, not according to the scriptures. So uh, look with me in uh, 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter and the seventh verse. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. A way to say this is to say that uh, eternal life is Life with God, experiencing the life that God is, age after age without end. (laughs) Well, what is death? Death is separation from life. It doesn't mean you cease to exist. But here you see in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, it talks about judgment on those that trouble God's church when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Now that's, that's the opposite of everlasting life. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. If you believe the Bible, then you believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell. What makes heaven heaven and what makes hell hell is not just in heaven streets of gold, gate of pearl, glory of of the light of God. It's who's there. (laughs) I mean, that's what makes any place what it is, right? What makes a home a home? It ain't the building. It's not the architecture. It's not the decoration. Not the geographic location. It's who lives there. And it's their presence. Well, what makes heaven heaven is that 
They don't even need a star. They don't even need the sun. The Lamb is the light. Woo! You, you can go outside and get a S-O-N tan. <laughs> and you won't get burned. Uh, you don't need any sunscreen. Oh, somebody say glory to God. The thing that makes heaven heaven is who's there. God is there. His throne is there. Jesus is there. And all the holy people who love God and love each other, that includes us and all of our saved family and all of our church family, that's what makes heaven wonderful. Hallelujah. It's the light. It's the life. It's the joy. It's the peace. Being in union with eternal life is what gives us eternal life. Now what makes hell, hell? The big thing that makes hell, hell is what's not there. Who's not there? There is no light there. The Bible talks about darkness that can be felt. There is no light there. There's no life there. Why? God's not there. There's no peace. And there are those who hate God, God's enemies. I mean, just living with them would be hell. Do you see this, Saint of God? Living with people who are only full of venom and who hate God and hate each other. It's who's not there and the lack of peace and grace and light and love that makes hell, hell. Those that are punished with everlasting destruction, what makes it everlasting destruction? It's being separated from the presence of the Lord and being separated from the glory of His power. Existence is not worth having apart from God, who is light and life and love. But if people and beings don't want God, they, they choose to rebel against him. He has no choice but to remove them. They don't want to be with him. They don't want to be around him. They have to be somewhere else. Hell, the scripture says, was actually made for the devil and his angels. It wasn't specifically created for human beings. But human beings that have rebelled against God and joined Satan's rebellion, they get to stay with him and with them. Thank God I'm not going. How about you? I'm not. Jesus took my, my sins and paid the price for my transgressions, including going to the heart of the earth. He, he took my place. He did it for me, so I'm not going. Somebody say, I'm not going. What, what are you talking about? I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to the lake of fire. I'm not going. Why? That is called the second death. The first death being when you die, you know, your spirit is separated from your body. Another good word for death is simply separation. Physical death is when the spirit is separated from the body. If the spirit comes out of the body and is separated from the body, then the body has no life, no breath, no, no energy in the nervous system or the brain. 
you know, it's all connected. When the body stops breathing, that means the breath, the spirit has left, the human spirit. So it's an empty shell. It's an empty house. That doesn't mean that person ceased to exist. They've just been separated from this earthly house. And that is the first, first death. And it is appointed unto men once to die, after this the judgment. But then Revelation talks about the second death. When those that don't believe, joined with the enemy and, and all of that, are cast into the lake of fire, which is forever separation from God and from his love and light and peace. That is eternal death. That is the second, the lasting death. Destruction, everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now this is the most horrible thing that can happen to a human being. Not dying physically. Not dying from COVID-19. Not dying from cancer, from a heart attack or any of those things. People think, oh, that's the most awful thing that could happen. It certainly is not. All of us are leaving here in a short amount of time. I mean, if you live to be 100 plus, it's going to come and go so quick. And the next thing you know, it's going to be time to leave here. Physical death is not even close to being the worst thing that can happen to a human being. It's this, being separated from the presence of God and from the glory of his power. That is everlasting destruction. That is eternal death, separation. Thank God for his mercy and grace, wherein he has revealed to us our need of a Savior, and where he has opened our eyes and, and caused faith to come by the preaching of his wonderful word and gospel. And we heard it and we believed it and we have received Jesus. And he that believes on Jesus, we just got through reading it, has right now, present tense possession, has eternal life. Are you a believer? Are you a, somebody say, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. I believe on Jesus. You not only believe he exists, you believe in who he is and what he's done, and you've received him. If you have done this, then you are right now, your spirit has been changed, has been born from above. Just like there is the natural birth and there's a spiritual birth. Well, there's a natural death and there's a spiritual death. And so we were born of our mothers, of the, the natural, of the flesh, of, of water, the scripture says. But if you believed on him, your spirit that had died and was separated from God because of wrong choices and sin has been recreated, born again, born anew, born from above. And now, believers, your spirit cannot die ever. <laughs> It will never be separated from God again. And if you're never separated from God again, that means you will experience light, life, joy, peace, grace, 
throughout the eons to come. Age after age, eon after eon, somebody say, thank God I have, I possess right now eternal life, eternal life. Go with me, please, to the book of John, gospel account of John, and the uh, 16th chapter, John 16. Now, I know I've referred to it repeatedly, but we need to. There is so much junk that people believe about death and God and heaven and hell. You know, you hear even preachers stand up and say, when a young person died or even a child, well, you know, I guess God needed them more there than he did here. I guess God just needed another angel in the choir. This this is foolishness. This is ignorance of the word. This is not true. And you'll hear people try to imply, like I said, that everybody that dies goes to heaven. It's just not true. It is so important that we emphasize what the word emphasizes, and that is faith, In Jesus alone. Can you say faith? In Jesus alone. What do you mean? Not in somebody else. Not in some other prophet or some angel or revelation. Not in some, you know, prescribed works. No. In what Jesus has done alone. That is my salvation. He did it. And I believe on him. And I received him. That's what saves me. That's what has given me eternal life. Now in John 16 and 33. This is the last verse of John 16. Jesus is speaking. And this flows into the next chapter. The 17th chapter. And this is so rich with revelation. This 17th chapter of John is actually Jesus at prayer. Imagine if you could have come upon Jesus as he's praying to the Father and taken out your phone and recorded it. (laughs) Well, you don't have it on your phone, but you got it recorded. Right here in print, exactly what Jesus prayed and how he prayed. And this is right before he went to the cross. This is so significant. John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. You know, the prophet said, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Well, those that have separated themselves from God have separated themselves from peace. But in Jesus you have peace. He said, In the world you'll have tribulation." You cannot find satisfaction of heart and soul in this ungodly world. No matter how much you accumulate, no matter how much you accomplish, you can't find it. But you can find soul peace, heart satisfaction and fulfillment in him, in Jesus. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
That's why 1 John says, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, our faith in what he has done that overcame the world. Now keep reading, 17.1. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour is come. Now this refers to the hour when he would uh, be offered up as our sacrifice. The hour is come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. You know, we also are the sons of God. And what many have not understood is that it's not our being beat down and defeated that somehow glorifies God. He intends that His glory be manifested in us, that He might be glorified. Keep going, that's a whole message there. But as you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give what? Eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now look at verse 3. And this is life eternal. Here out of the mouth of Jesus, praying to the Father, is the definition of eternal life. We've given technical definitions, but this is the spiritual definition. This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and and that they might know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Everybody say this out loud. This is life eternal. What, What is life eternal? That they might know you. The only true God, and that they might know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is talking to the Father. Knowing God, and when we say knowing God, we're not talking about knowing about God. This is talking about experiencing God, knowing Him, like when you say, I know God my parents, I know my spouse, I know my friend. What are you saying? I have experience with them. I don't just know who they are. I haven't just heard about them through somebody else. I'm personally acquainted with them. Now this is where the big divide comes. Because there are millions of church-going people who don't know God and who therefore are not born again and they don't have eternal life. And if they die in that condition, they die in their sins. Now this, you know, people don't even like to hear it and talk about it, but it's reality. It's not hearing about God that saves you. Like, you know, there's so many people that they think I'm born in America, so that kind of makes me a Christian. (laughs) Or I was born in a Christian household. I came up around Christianity, so that makes me a believer. It does not. It does not. Well, I've gone to church a lot. That doesn't make you a believer either. 
Jesus said, remember what he said to Nicodemus in our text? What did he say? We, we read verse 16. 14, 15, 16. But if you back up to the first part of it, that's when Nicodemus came to Jesus. And that's when Jesus told him, you must be born again. That's how he got to verse 14, 15, 16, talking about eternal life. Believing on Jesus, you must be born again. What happened when you were born again? You met the Savior. You met his spirit personally. And you know him. You don't know all about him, but you have contacted him personally. Now, this just sounds foreign to a lot of churchgoers because it hasn't happened in their life. God is real to the believer. He's not an abstract concept. You'll hear people saying this, you know, folks like me said, you know, the Lord spoke to me and the Lord told me this. But people scoff at that and they go, you know, he thinks he's hearing from God. And I've heard people say, all these people talking about God told me and I heard from God. That scares me. One guy spoke up and said, it's all these people who never hear from God that scares me. Well, do you believe the Bible? You know what the Bible is full of? Full of people who heard from God. (laughs) If you don't believe people can hear from God, you don't believe the Bible. And one of the reasons why people don't believe that, they don't believe in God, period. They don't believe he exists. That's why if somebody says, I heard from God, then in their mind, there is no God. There's nothing for you to hear from. So you're just mentally off. But it's not true. There is a God. He is real. He communicates to his people. I'm not talking about hearing voices. I'm not talking about having, you know, feeling electricity. (laughs) He lives in our spirit. And the Bible said his spirit bears witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. If he can let you know you're a child of God. He can let you know something else. He communicates with our spirit. Knowing him. Is life eternal. Say it again. This is life eternal. That we might know him. The only true God. That we might know Jesus Christ. Who he has sent. Oh thank God. Thank God. You know, it was prophesied and also recorded in Hebrews 8.11. You don't have to turn there. But it said in this day, talking about the day we live in, they'll not teach each man, every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord. For they shall all, all shall know me from the least to the greatest. We do not have to depend on somebody else telling us about God. Thank God for ministry gifts. He's given them for numerous reasons. But there's only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You as a believer and every believer from the least to the greatest, all are supposed to know God experientially, personally, come boldly to the throne of grace and receive directly 
from the creator of heaven and earth yourself. You not have to go through a priest or through a preacher or through a pastor or through some other believer that you think has more faith than you. We need to get away from any of that and realize Jesus said, in that day, you'll ask me nothing. He's talking about you'll be able to go to the Father directly yourself. And anything you ask him in my name, Jesus said, he'll give it to you. Oh, what a privilege. What an honor. What God has done for us. The greatest honor he has bestowed on us. I mean, from one standpoint, you look at us, and the angels even said to God, What is man <laughs> that you're so that you're so mindful of him, that you've done all this for him? Because from one standpoint, we're so feeble, we're so ignorant, we've made such a mess <laughs> of things, and yet God, who knows the end from the beginning, God, the heart knower, saw and knows our capacity to love him and honor him and be faithful to him. He has chosen us, even before we were born and knew about it, he's chosen us to know him, to experience him. I mean, God called Abraham his friend, his friend. We've heard this, we've been around this, but oh friend, don't, don't be jaded. Don't fail to realize what a momentous, what a giant, awesome thing it is for the Almighty, the Ancient of Days, who sits on the throne to allow you and me to personally fellowship with himself. Not through a bunch of mediators, just the one, Jesus himself. This is eternal life, to know him and to know Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. In 1 John 1, would you look there, please? 1 John 1. And one. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. He's not talking about a book, he's talking about Jesus. He said, We've uh, we seen him with our eyes, our hands have touched him. Talking about him, Jesus. Verse 2 For the life was manifested. This is this eternal life we're talking about. We've seen it and bear witness and show to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ, these things write we to you, that your joy may be full. Christianity is not supposed to be some dead liturgical thing that we come and we go through the motions 
and we say this and we say that and say we believe this and ascribe to this. No, it's supposed to be knowing Him, experiencing Him. And this is what gives us internal fullness of joy. Can you say thank you, Lord? He said uh, this eternal life that we've seen and heard, verse 3, that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Look with me in uh, Philippians, please. Philippians, thanks be to God. Philippians, the third chapter and the tenth verse. The Spirit of God through Paul talks about this, and he he went through about how he had pursued the, uh, he was part of the Pharisee group before he got saved, and he went into detail about how that he had excelled above all his contemporaries, keeping the law to the letter and, uh, you know, maintaining the righteousness that is by the law. But now that he had got born again, he said, I count all of that as garbage, dung. And here's, here's what I care about, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is resurrection life. Knowing him and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That's our our ungodly desires dying to our own wrong thinking, dying to that which is ungodly and of the flesh and unrenewed mind. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Today's English version says all I want to know. All I want, rather, is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection. The the Weist says it like this, and I think this is exactly right. The Weist translation says, In order that I might come to know him in an experiential way, to come to know experientially the power of his resurrection, and a joint participation in his sufferings. If by any means I might arrive at the out-resurrection from among those that are dead. Experiential. Experiential. Not technical. Not historical. There's people, so many, you talk about Jesus, they only think of him as a historical figure. Like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, somebody from the past. Do you believe in Jesus? And they say, well, yeah. And they mean they believe he existed in the past like George Washington. This is not being born again. This is not being saved. When you choose to believe the good news, the gospel, when you choose to bow your knee and humble yourself to the Lord God, and receive Jesus and what he has done, something miraculous happens. Your spirit is changed. You encounter God. You experience Jesus. And when you do, 
It changes you forever. Now, it doesn't fix everything you didn't know, and it doesn't mean you don't have any wrong desires anymore, but the man on the inside is a new creation in Christ Jesus, and on the inside, the old things are passed away, and all things have become new. Why? Because you have personally experienced God. And then that's not supposed to be the culmination, the end. It's supposed to be the beginning. That then the next day, you inquire of the Lord. You look to his spirit. You praise him. You pray to him. And you, oh, here's the big part. You hear from him. It's not a one-sided deal. Prayer's not supposed to be a monologue. It's supposed to be a dialogue. To know him and to know this resurrection power, that is eternal life. Can you say glory to God? Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Go go to 1 John 5, please. I should have had you hold your place over there, but that's okay. You, You can look at it on the screen. 1 John 5, 11. He said, this is the record. That God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And as you'll see and as we've already seen, what, what does that mean? Literally, this eternal life is in the father and in the son. But for us, we get this life through the son. We get it through knowing him. And through our union with him and through our fellowship and communion with him. Verse 12. He that has the son has life. He that has not the son of God has not life. Now, I don't know how how more clear you could make it. You are not going to heaven without Jesus. You are not saved without him. You do not have eternal life without Jesus. If you believe the Bible. Now, if you're going to believe something else, that's a choice. But everything else are the ideas of men. Verse 13. These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And skip down to verse 20. Verse 20. He said, And we know that the Son of God is come, and He has given us an understanding that we may what? That we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God, and this is eternal life. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Stand on your feet, everybody. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Romans 6, 22 and 23 says it like this. Romans 6, 22, it says, Now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. 
Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What is death? Separation from God, which is separation from life. But the gift of God, it's a gift, not something you earn, not something through your enlightenment and through your good works that you attain to. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, if you have not experienced what we're talking about, you can right now. Right now. Or if you've experienced it in times past, but for whatever reason, you let the allure of the world catch you and you have left the Lord, you can come back. And if you'll come back, it can be as good and better than it ever was. And the Lord will forgive you and he, he won't mention your transgressions to you if you'll come back. But you've got to come back. Everybody stand up and lift up your heart and your hand to the Lord and let's act on this right now. What is, what is eternal life? It's not going to church. It's not being baptized in the correct water baptismal formula. Certainly not being baptized as a baby. It's not having your name on a roll or, or it's not adhering to a certain creed. It is knowing Him. Hallelujah. Knowing Him. And the Lord knows those that love Him. 1 Corinthians 8 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And the one that loves the Lord is known of Him. Said out loud, Father God, I choose to believe in you. I draw near to you by faith. I humble myself before your awesome presence. And I believe your testimony that you gave your son, Jesus, for the sins of the world, for my sins. And that he paid the price. And that you have raised him from the dead. Demonstrating eternal life. And victory over judgment. And over sin. I receive Jesus. And I confess Jesus. As Lord of my life. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Fill me. With your Holy Spirit and your life and your presence and your peace and your joy, this is my overwhelming desire to know you and experience your resurrection life. I have eternal life in Christ Jesus. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.